This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon offered on Christmas Eve, December 24, 2020, at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Greensboro, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, Luke's Nativity Story. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. On Monday night this week, which happened to be the longest night of what has seemed to be the longest year that I have ever known, a little after sundown, I walked outside and turned to the southwest and looked up to search for what was called the Great Conjunction. It didn't take much searching there in the southwest, just like the internet told me was going to be, was a very bright star. Now, this star was not a single star. It was actually the coming together of Saturn and Jupiter. It's an optical illusion because of the way we are situated in our solar system that it appeared that Saturn and Jupiter were right next to each other. And sure enough, it created what looked like a really bright star. A little bit later, after we had figured out that we indeed could see this amazing event from the house in Avondale, my neighbors joined me, including my neighbor Audrey, who I normally describe as a five-year-old, but I was told this week that she will be six next month, and so I should stop calling her a five-year-old. So Audrey, who will be six next month, came over. Over this past year, Audrey has been learning all about space, and she is very quick to explain that she can name all of the planets in the solar system. She and I have had more than one conversation that has involved that when I was growing up, Pluto was still a full-size planet, and that at some point Pluto fell out of favor and was not considered a planet, And she reassures me by telling me that they now teach her that Pluto is a planet, though a dwarf one. So on this night of astronomical significance, Audrey was particularly excited to stay up a little bit later and come outside with the grown-ups to look up into the night sky. We, seeing this as an opportunity for education, explained to her that these two planets have not been this close together and visible in this way for over 800 years, and that it wouldn't happen again for a really long time. Now, unfortunately, nobody on the block has a telescope, but I did have my digital camera that has a pretty long zoom lens on it, and so I dragged out a tripod and put the camera on it, and we stood in the street, um, and for some reason, there was lots of traffic that night, and we made them go around, but we stood in the street, with the camera, and I get the planets in the viewfinder, and sure enough, with the zoom lens, you can see that the single bright star is really two distinct glowing objects. I snap several pictures, making adjustments between exposures and f-stop, and then finally, after a few minutes, I turned to look and see what I had managed to capture, 
And one of the photos, as I zoomed in, I realized that there was more there than I could see with the naked eye or even just through the camera lens. I could see clearly Saturn, which looks like a football because the rings that are around it. And I could see this really bright looking object, which was Jupiter, but then next to Jupiter on either side were four of Jupiter's largest moons. Now I thought this was pretty neat. And so I thought surely Audrey, the soon to be six-year-old would think it was neat. And I called her over and showed her the back of my camera. And she said, can you zoom it in a little bit more? And I said, yes. Then she looked for a moment and considered the picture and then looked at me and said, wow. Right now, so much of our lives are dictated by things that we can't control. The COVID virus, the economy, politics, but for a moment on Monday night, the grown-ups on my block put down our smartphones, stepped away from the 24 hours news cycle, and looked up into the heavens to wonder at God's creation and to hear the wise words of a near six-year-old saying, wow. In the 1600s, an astronomer, Johannes Kepler, looked into the night sky and saw another conjunction like we had on Monday night. And based off of that, he began to figure out the math to explain the laws of planetary motion, figuring out that the Earth was not the center of our solar system, but instead we all orbited around the sun. And he would go on to do work that would help explain how gravity works. Kepler, after looking into the night sky at one of these events, wondered if this is what happened on that first Christmas, that Christmas star that would ultimately lead the Magi to Bethlehem. So he did a lot of complicated math and determined that at around the time that Jesus would have been born, there are actually a series of these events that would have occurred throughout the course of a year and would have been visible in the night sky. So when I hear the reading from Luke, even though Luke doesn't talk about stars, I would have to wonder if those shepherds out there at night watching their sheep might not have laid down and looked up to see what amazing sights would have been in the night sky, perhaps gazing at a great conjunction themselves and telling stories to explain what might be happening. I don't think those shepherds are very different from us. They were isolated from other folks because they were shepherds. Shepherds were not who you invited to parties or over for dinner. You kept them on the outskirts of the town because they smelled rather like sheep. They lived in a world where much of their lives was dictated by things beyond their control. The Roman Empire, the economy, politics. But on that first Christmas, when they looked up into the heavens, perhaps first saying, wow, at some incredibly bright star, they then would receive the message of the angels that would change the world. See, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. And then as though one angel wasn't quite enough, the whole heaven was filled with the voices of angels. The whole earth was glad, as the psalmist would say. The seas thundered, the trees shouted with joy. And of course, we know what happens next, right? The shepherds go running to Bethlehem to see if the angels were right. And there they find Joseph and Mary and Jesus just where they're supposed to be. 
And then they tell everyone what they had seen in the night sky. And everyone is amazed by their story. This Christmas is like no other in our lifetime. We cannot gather in joyful celebrations of the incarnation the way we have always done it. For many of us, we cannot be with the loved ones that we so long to see. The world is grieving and is tired, but still into that comes the good news of Christmas yet again. A savior born in Bethlehem, whose first heralds were simple shepherds. A God that chose not to come to a beautiful temple, but instead showed up in a manger. A God that didn't need the powerful in the world to sing a new, a new song, but instead chose simple people in forgotten places to tell the good news. There's a part of this story that I think often gets overlooked. When the shepherds show up in all their excitement and telling all of their stories, everyone is amazed except for Mary. Mary's response on that first Christmas was quiet. It was simple. She already knew who her son was and that he would be the savior of the world. She had already sung the powerful words of the Magnificat that her son would turn the world right side up by scattering the proud and casting down the mighty and lifting up the lowly and filling the hungry. Mary doesn't need the songs of the angels or the stories of shepherds to know that God's new creation had begun in the child that she had given birth to. So when she hears the stories of the shepherds, instead of excitement, she treasures the words. She <laughs> ponders their message in her heart because she knows that the work of salvation has only just begun. Maybe this Christmas, we can treasure and ponder the words anew of our salvation and Christmas, even if we can't do all the things that we want to do. A new year is coming. Healing is on the way. The world is still being set right side up by God. Howard Thurman describes the work of Christmas this way and points that it's actually when the celebration is over that the work begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people. This Christmas may be quieter than what we're used to, but I think in that quietness is an invitation to grace. Grace to take a moment to look into the heavens and experience awe. Grace to see God breaking into our world in forgotten places to forgotten people. Grace to ponder in our heart the song of the angels. Unto us is born this day a Savior. Amen.